What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the podcast. It's just me and Addie chilling out once again. Last time you were here, you dropped like so much wisdom bombs and like interesting insights. Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. And all that kind of stuff. He's like, you're the one who like coined the whole like the saga of Corridor as like a story that in and of itself is like a thing that drives the channel, which is really interesting because a lot of people brought that up afterwards. Oh, wow. No idea. It's just, <laughs> just, uh, just riffing, man. And I... I have nothing but love for for you and your audience and everything you you guys have pulled off. And I think I call you every once in a while, and I'm like, man, I wish I had a family, <laughs> like a work family. Yeah, I mean, man. Look, I've got a great team around me. I, I I love my my squad. Yeah, you have an army, right? Like I'm squad goals. You're you're like army ready goals. to like fucking invade some. Yeah, it's some just territory. all special forces. Yeah. <laughs> yeah man it's pretty crazy like the amount of like stuff happening at corridor now compared to like corridor from three years ago or four years ago we have about 20 people in the office right now it's like we had like 12 three years ago mm -hmm. it's nuts like just there's always things happening and it's at the point now where like projects happen that i'm not like on top of for so sure. like they just come out and it's like wow that's cool that's what it must feel like to be somebody that watches the channel. <laughs> I mean it makes it makes sense. You hitched your wagon so to speak to the internet. Yeah. And as the internet uh, continues to go from how it was perceived when we were growing up, like a like a kind of a geeky nerdy thing for hackers, right? I mean mm -hmm. uh, to to being what it is today, which is a district like the 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 most epic global distribution channel ever yeah and uh you know it's taken most of the not most of it i shouldn't say most of it, it's taking it's continuously taking more and more ad dollars from linear media yeah and that just the trickle down effect of that is going to yeah lead all, to corridor digital abundance yeah it, i mean it's kind of it's happening little by little just i mean the fact that it's grown so much the past few years which is weird because like everybody's like oh yeah the internet youtube it's like it's so cutting edge. And now it's like, it's so old news. <laughs> it's like, why aren't you on TikTok now? <laughs> but you know, it's, it's like Jake talks about how like fortunate we are to be in a world where distribution is free. You know, it's yes. like right now when everybody's like dealing with supply chains and like issues with China and like getting stuff across the ocean. It's like, it's effortless and easy for us to be like, here, everybody have our product and it costs us nothing to give it to you and you get it instantly. It's like, what a, what a spot to be in. Yeah. 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 It's um, just, I, I just have kind of grad massive amounts of gratitude for, for this, this time we were born in this yeah. time that we exist in. It's crazy. I don't know. It, you know, people turning into the podcast right now, perhaps they don't know who you are. They haven't he seen the other podcasts we did together. Like, right. could you, could you introduce yourself to like the anonymous <laughs> audience on the I, other side? Yeah. I, I've, I've, um, I didn't know how to introduce myself for years because there've been like phases of my career and my life. And there's also like this huge disconnect between who I am as a, as a human being and then like the content I make. Right. <laughs> like, um, and then people meet me and they're like, 
you're nothing like how, oh yeah, yeah, I'm playing a character, like I'm, you know, <laughs> I'm a character. But, um, you know, I, I would say there's a few phases of, of, of my career. I, I started off making or being part of the Hollywood ecosystem, right? Mm-hmm. So that, that led to me being uh, a part of the process and that meant being one of the producers of several large theatrical release films. Mm-hmm. Um, I grew dissatisfied with that. Um, and I was unable to kind of articulate why at the time, but I realized it was because I, I wanted to be working with intellectual property, mm-hmm. the, 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 the characters I loved and the, the, the games and cartoons that I loved growing up. Mm-hmm. And, um, I wanted to be an auteur. Again, I didn't, didn't, I lacked the self-awareness to, to say this. So I was just kind of doing things. And that led to the next phase of my career where I just started running around wearing, uh, like kiss makeup and, uh, making fan films. Which is a great phase of your career. Great phase. Great phase, right? It's just like dropping nukes and like, again, this is, I, I wouldn't say this is early YouTube, but this is, this is YouTube like 2.0. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, the mainstream, uh, the, the Hollywood apparatus that, that dictates what, what get back then that what got made and what didn't get made like that it, it hadn't really caught on to the whole YouTube thing. Mm-hmm. It was still niche. And so these fan films were getting a ton of attention. Yeah. Right? Like just a ton of attention, which then uh, eventually led to the spot I'm in now where I'm creating shows for Netflix. Yeah. Um, and I guess the bridge between those two, two things was a show that I didn't create, hmm. uh, but was intimately involved in both the production with the creative and all, all of that was uh, a show called Castlevania on, on, yeah. on, on Netflix. So that kind of ended up being this like bridge, which was great because now hindsight being an exact science or really the only exact science I can look back and go, Oh, this makes sense. Like, you know, I did some, uh, I was a part of some bigger things that were very successful. I rebelled against everything and, uh, produced these, had crazy ideas and then produced them into these renegade bootleg fan films. And I called it the bootleg universe. And then Castlevania kind of showed that, Oh, this guy can also do the nerd thing and apply it to the system and, and have it still work. And then yeah. that kind of opened the floodgates and. Yeah. Like what it, if, what if he didn't bootleg it? It was just the thing. Is right. Like- <laughs> so, and the, the funniest thing was, so I was on production of uh, season one of, of Castlevania. And uh, I think it was after the sound mix of episode four, because season one was like four, mm-hmm. four episodes. So it was after the sound mix. Uh, a few of us went out for uh, for for dinner to celebrate. There's like four of us. We went out to celebrate. I'm like, you know, uh, and I was still in my like, no, oh, fuck the system, fuck this, let's do. You know, I was like, I was like, still in that that kind of vibration. And um, I really wanted to do a hard R Captain Planet. Mm. You know where uh, the planeteers are are, are labeled eco terrorists, mm-hmm. and you know Wheeler, who's the 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 guy with the ring, the fire ring, is running around like burning, <laughs> burning people. It just you know, 
Yeah. I had this whole whole pitch that I was super in love with. And I'm like, yeah, I'm going to do this as a fan film. And then someone goes, like, what if you just didn't do these as fan films, dude? Like, why don't you go, like, <laughs> talk to the network, like, or or talk to the the conglomerate that owns it? Like, they will talk to you, you know? Like, <laughs> and I realized, like, oh, that's a good point. Like, it just kind of, like, I keep bumping this. I, I hadn't quite made that connection, weirdly enough, you know? Because I, I really enjoyed being this playing the character of this 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 rebel mm-hmm. you know i think this comes from just watching way too much wrestling like <laughs> i was like casting myself in this in this thing and not realizing like oh i can just call the guy that develops shows or green lights or, or or whatever right yeah and get more get more content up and going and and, and like kind of turn this into an actual business versus like me running around just causing chaos because <laughs> uh i enjoy causing chaos i feel like i mean it's also like being in your 20s like i feel like there's like just a barrier of like if you're in your 20s you're not allowed to call a conglomerate and they won't talk to you it's like the moment you're in your 30s you can call them up and be like hey i have an idea and they're like okay let's talk it's like it's weird like i feel like you also just cross this line of starting to get a little bit older a little bit wiser and then like they accept but i was doing that in my 20s yeah yeah because all the 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 producing executive producing producing the the big movies that was happening in my 20s right so like so I, I I had the access in my 20s. Oh, and you're just like, whatever, I'm still going to rebel it anyways. <laughs> yeah, I, I, Was it because I, like, why were you, were you doing it without actually reaching out to them because you just, you didn't want someone else to like control what you could really do with it? You want like, because I feel like there's a sense of like, we all feel like we own these characters a little bit, right? Yeah. Like, I feel like I own Luke Skywalker a little bit because... Mm-hmm. I have like the Luke Luke Skywalker that influenced my life. And if I wanted to make a story about Luke Skywalker, I don't want somebody else to tell me like, no, you can't do that. You know, I want to be able to tell my story with the character. Like, was that a worry that you had? Like that stopped you? For from- sure. For sure. It was that. It was also, you know, there was like a, um, like a defeatist mentality I had to kind of take on to manifest this rebellion. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Because I had to like um, method act in a way mm-hmm. in order to be like, fuck that we're doing this. And like, you know, and, and, and like I had people going along with me. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, it was like, there was like a, it, 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 it's like I was sitting in this vibration of needing to rebel, mm-hmm. even though I didn't necessarily need to rebel as much as I was rebelling. Yeah. Right. And at a certain point, um, it just became clear like, oh, the next level of this is integrating with the system, mm-hmm. using the, the, the whatever cachet you have and work with the system. Yeah. Which I guess is the arc of kind of everyone who ultimately rebels. Ugh, guys, today's episode is brought to you by Storyblocks, the one-stop shop for all of your stock asset needs for creators and businesses alike. Creators run into this problem often. You're working on a video and you need something, whether it's B-roll, audio images, something to tie your video together. At Corridor Digital, we've scoured the internet for stock assets throughout all the years. And the one thing that we found that was consistent and better than all the rest was Storyblocks. Storyblocks offers high quality 4K B-roll, audio images, assets like motion graphics and After Effects templates and more 
all in one convenient location with a virtually unlimited library. That's right, they're constantly updating their library and they have an unlimited all access plan that allows you to download as much as you want from the site, it's all royalty free. They know that making videos is hard enough and they just want it to make it easy for you to get what you need so you can get the assets, put them in your video and move on to the next part of the creative process. That's why we promote them so much here on the podcast and generally in Corridor Digital because we use them all the time. And if you guys are interested in getting started for yourself or if you're part of a team and you wanna get their enterprise plan for the whole team, go to storyblocks.com slash cast to get started or just click the link in the description below. And uh, once again, huge thanks to them for sponsoring and um, now let's get back to the episode. <laughs> right, you either, like, hey, that's true. Like, like, like Tony Hawk. Like now he's, you know what I mean. Like, <laughs> that dude was a re rebel. Now he's like a business owner and like kind of runs a conglomerate. Um, yeah, like every rock star. Like every rock star. Like yeah, every rock star. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, man. They're out. They're out. Like, like picketing Napster. Like, it, it's an arc, dude. It's a cliche. And I'm. I guess I'm. I'm on that trajectory of that cliche yeah but yeah aren't we all yeah and also to be fair there was another piece to this whole thing that that uh was i guess interesting to observe uh i work now a lot with like gaming ip mm -hmm. right uh and game companies so to speak right mm -hmm. so we're talking it's public knowledge what i what some of it it's some of it is not public knowledge um but you know we're we're talking like ubisoft with all their a lot of their titles uh, uh pubg like it, there's there's well, here's what i'm trying to say <laughs> um movie studios are there there's like a handful of conglomerates that ran hollywood right mm -hmm. we're talking like six of them like disney universal sony Fox, Warner Brothers, Warner Brothers, um, and then a couple mini majors and like Summit, Lionsgate. Um, obviously, Fox and Disney have like, well, Disney acquired Fox, and there's there's a consolidation happening now, but um, the movie studios were really in the business of leveraging their own intellectual property to uh, make make new content, right? Mm -hmm. So, um. So it ended up feeling like kind of a claustrophobic experience because there's like, this is what we make. This is how we make it. And we're going to use this as a building block to make that. So it's all very much like a product. Very much a product, right? Because filmed entertainment, movies, TV, et cetera, are not uh, like a core business vertical of, of most gaming companies. Mm -hmm. There's a level of freedom that feels like the Wild Wild West. Mm -hmm. um, and also game companies, and this is counterintuitive because you would think the movie companies, because they make so much content, they have such these such like these deep reservoirs of IP that they were they they would take more risks with it because mm -hmm. they have more of it. And gaming companies would be more like kind of closed off and close to the vest. Mm -hmm. I found the opposite to be true. Hmm. Uh, game companies tend to stretch more. There's more brand elasticity that they allow 
Interesting. Uh, with do, their with their IP. Do you think that's because the player is in control of the main character, so just naturally elasticity in how you approach the game? No. Oh, also, let me just pull your mic to the side a little bit because it's right in front of your face. Well, there we go. Yeah. Uh, no, I don't think that's why. I think it has to do with how the movie industry evolved and how the gaming industry evolved. Gotcha. Right? So the movie industry... Uh, I'm going to use the word cartel to describe them. I don't mean it in like a facetious <laughs> way, but they, they're effectively a handful of people built these studios. They vertically integrated the studios with the technology and the means mm-hmm. of production and the, 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 like the sound stages and distribution and then kind of work together in tandem mm-hmm. to make sure that they maintain control. Right. So if, the, if, if it was like the, in, in the 1980s, if you went and made a movie independently, the only shot you had of people seeing it was getting a major studio to distribute it. Yeah. So they could, they had all the leverage, right? Yeah. All the power, all the distribution. Um, and I, and I'm, and, and even like just making that movie independently, like you needed their tools. Right. You needed their camera and you their film their and their like, yeah. And if you didn't have it, it like, it looked janky. Yeah. Um, so because they had such a tight control over the apparatus, the whole thing, they are not incentivized to innovate, mm-hmm. right? So they're, so they're, the innovation happens incrementally. Mm-hmm. This is why James Cameron's like a revered figure in, in film because you, you it, like the innovation happens from like a handful of auteurs who force the innovation, mm-hmm. right? They, they get power and then they steamroll innovation and make it happen, right? Mm-hmm. And then- the the cartel industry would then go and turn it into a gimmick and fucking erode erode it. That's just kind of how it worked. <laughs> and then Terminator Three and Terminator Salvation yeah. and Terminator whatever. <laughs> yeah, uh, gaming on the flip side, right, is an entire <clears throat> industry built off of the back of innovation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like if you're a game company and you have a hit game, and then you don't innovate, that game company is fucked. Mm-hmm. It is it is just game over, right? It's yeah. it's it, it like. Because gaming, you know, like like uh, uh, tech gets a lot of credit for for this, but I would argue that gaming has been innovating on parallel on a parallel path to tech, right? Like mm-hmm. um, handheld devices, like the Game Boy, mm-hmm. were like fucking yeah. You, you know what I mean? Like, it was there like, before your iPhone was right. Right. <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, Nintendo, like they, they took crazy fucking swings, like the power glove, the virtual boy. These are crazy fucking swings. Dude. This, is, this is like, this is, they're a tech company, right? <laughs> Gaming companies are tech companies, whether, <clears throat> whether, whether they're doing hardware, whether they're doing software or in the case of Nintendo, both mm-hmm. and they're IP companies. Yeah. Right. So they're forced to innovate because if you don't innovate, you're fucked. And, um, and this is again, it's innovate with the hardware, innovate with the software, innovate with gameplay mechanics. It's 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 built off of the back of innovation. Yeah. And you're literally getting an, a new system, a hardware system, like every four to five right. years. Like imagine if you're in a movie, it's like, all right, now we're doing 36 millimeter, now we're doing 40 millimeter film, now we're doing 55 millimeter film. It's like that right. if that was happening every four years in the movie industry since like 1930. <laughs> that affects yeah. the culture of the organization. 100%. It just does, right? So, uh, w- w- movie movie people movie the movie apparatus historically has been very risk averse Mm -hmm. because it's like don't rock the boat don't don't piss anyone off don't don't get blackballed right 
Tech is the opposite. Piss everyone off. Break some shit. Cause anarchy. <laughs> you know <what> I mean? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just get people, get eyeballs on your system and, you know, start making a product. That's yeah. the tech industry. Yeah. You know, it's funny when you talk about like not rocking the boat too with like the entertainment industry. <clears throat> like there's this, this element that like doesn't get talked about too much, which is like that question of like, will this work again? Like what makes people want to see your movie? And everybody feels like they have the answer, but deep down, no one has the answer. It's like, sometimes that new thing just comes out and it's amazing. And sometimes that thing comes out that's great, but then no one sees it. And it's just like, everybody's trying to figure out the imperfect science around like, okay, people love Batman. So if we put Batman in it and we keep it gritty, we should at least sell this many tickets based on past experience, but we're still just guessing, you know? Yeah. And that's corporate, that's corporate America at play. Yeah. Trying to quantize what makes entertainment valuable versus not it, it's trying to sell a future that's uncertain <sighs> mm-hmm. with a degree of certainty right yeah. you're trying to you're trying to bake certainty into an uncertain future in order to affect a stock price mm-hmm. right but again um and i might get some flack for saying this but like there are a few examples, like how much innovation actually happens in Madden. So let's, you can find <laughs> outliers in what I'm saying, mm-hmm. but for the most part, if Call of Duty <clears throat> just straight up stops innovating, they become Medal of Honor tomorrow. Right. Suck it, Medal of Honor fans. <laughs> Dude, I love Medal of Honor, man. Like I'm all about catching those grenades and throwing them back. Yep. Right. Innovated that mechanic. Like I, from, from yeah. recollection, like Medal of Honor was the... I love that. The innovator of that mechanic. Um, But yeah. um. So so I'm curious, like, you know, I'm very much on like this other side of the industry that's just battling its way out from like, you know, the digital age here, which is not at all associated with like these big studios and, you know, everything, all the success we have just comes from like the direct relationship with the audience. Yes. Um, so I really don't have much experience trying to make projects happen in quote unquote in the system, right? What is that? What is it like trying to get a project off the ground these days in the traditional media system? Like how, what does the process go like? How, how what's step one through step? There isn't 100. one. That's the thing. Cause mm. it's, it's completely unique. You know, I, I don't know how many projects I've been a part of at this point. Yeah. Like I, I, I don't know. So I, I don't want to just throw a number out. Um, I could, it doesn't matter. There's a, there's a lot, um, everything, every single time it came together differently. Huh? So like, so like, let's say right now you're like, all right, I want to make an action film about two guys that are great shots. One's a cop, one's a farmer. And is it a movie or is it a series? A movie. Okay. Who's directing it? This is all, this is what you have. This is your starting point. So now the next thing you have to figure out is like, who's your director or like, like I'm just saying, like, so Adi Shankar is right here. He's like, all right, I'm deciding I'm going to make a movie. What's the next step? Are you asking Adi Shankar right now, or is Adi, this just Adi a novice Shankar, filmmaker out there trying to get their movie made? Adi, that's, Adi that's Shankar, different. right now, you right now. If you like, if you suddenly you walked out of this room with a passion in your heart, a burning passion to make a film, what would be your next steps? How would you try to get it off the ground? I mean, I'd call a handful of buyers and just tell them, hey, this is what I'm looking to do next. Okay. Yeah. So when you say buyers, like, what do you mean by that? Like, like Netflix, Netflix, HBO, like that kind of thing. And what, what makes them say yes? Track record, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. What if you didn't have a track record? 
Yeah, that's that's the more interesting question, <laughs> right? Because I I don't think like me I'm like particularly helpful to anybody, right? Because then it's just like, oh yes, well, you know, you just pick up the phone and you get in. It, it's not, <laughs> literally not helpful. Like it just look. I remember I'm being on the other side of this, moving out to LA, not knowing anybody, trying to figure out how the fuck this industry worked, and listening to interviews from douchebag filmmakers such as myself right now. <laughs> and they would say things like, yes, making a movie is like creme brulee. You need to, and you're like, what the fuck are you talking about, bro? Like, give me practical fucking steps, mm-hmm. right? So, sorry, so your question is, if you're a young filmmaker today. Sure, yeah, young filmmaker. How do you get your foot in the door? Yeah, how do you, how do you, how do you try to make a movie? Okay. With one of these systems, with so one of these studios. The best way to do it is not try to make your movie. Hmm. So you got to really like try to focus on what they're trying to deliver as a product. Yes. And, and work with that, right? Mm-hmm. There's uh, open writing assignments all the time. There's open directing assignments all the time, right? Get in the room, get in contention for one of those. Mm. Makes right? sense. Because this... This passion project, uh, two guys in the farmer yeah. movie, uh, <laughs> like they might already have something like that. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? How do you know that this is it, like you, you just don't know? Figure out what your superpower is because everyone has one, mm-hmm. right? And it's it's really figuring out like what that superpower is and what your superpowers are not. Mm-hmm. You know, like I, I meet a lot of young filmmakers. Who are, who are like, have like the dopest visuals and they have no sense of story. Mm-hmm. And if you, if you go in knowing that, that's great. You can work around that, right? Yeah. You can work around that weakness. If you lack the self-awareness and think you're like this master storyteller. Yeah. Then you're gonna you going to strike out. <laughs> then you end up wondering why you're getting so many notes and it gets all, you get frustrated. Yeah, you get frustrated and you're like, oh, they're not understanding my video. It's like, it's a whole thing. So the best way to get in is work through a system. I'll give you another example of this, right? If you want to break into YouTube today, mm-hmm. doing what you do, mm-hmm. right? Which is like VFX, stunts, uh, action shorts, and tutorials. That's mm-hmm. that's what Corridor is, More or less, yeah. and and a, and, a, and a podcast. So it's it's that, right? Mm-hmm. It's like basically like a like a like a film school without the. The, like the weird know-it-all professors, right? Yes. Well, there's at least one weird know-it-all professor. Right. <laughs> uh, how do you break into that? Well, the best way to do that is to get your attention or the attention of someone at Corridor and find a role within Corridor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not to go try to build your own Corridor. Yeah. Yeah, because then you're, it's a huge uphill battle. It's a huge uphill like, battle. And, and, there, and there are, there's, there's like a well of mistakes that you've made, mm-hmm. that you're aware that you made, that you won't make again, that you can save someone the legwork, you know? Yeah. It's funny because like looking at Corridor, like there have been people that come into the company and then move on from the company, you know, like Clint did that. Clint, yeah. great example. Great, great example. He grew immensely as just a human being mm-hmm. while here, right? I saw this dude who was kind of like, seemed a little stressed out and he works with you and then boom, stress is gone. He's just creating. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and then also like, I think community is huge 
with with any creative endeavor, like like authentic community, not the hey, we're going to meet up and complain about shit and be negative <laughs> and think that we know better and the Batman movie should have been made like this and instead they all suck. Like not not that community. Mm-hmm. That's just toxicity. Mm-hmm. But I mean actual <laughs> like we're going to get together and build that like that that tribe. Mm-hmm. I think yeah. that's I personally underestimated how important that was in my own journey. That was the thing that people always talked about with college. It's like, you know, you go to school for film, you're probably not going to really learn how to make a good movie. Right. They're going to teach you how to be a good crew member for equipment that's out of date as of 15 years ago, you know? Yeah. But what you will meet is 10, 5, 20, you know, a chunk of people that are just as passionate about doing what you're doing. Sure. And then together, you guys can team up and start making some cool stuff. For sure. So if you're trying to break into the industry... Get staffed on something, even if it's like a super low level spot on that thing, because Mm -hmm. then you can like move up the ecosystem. You can move up the ladder. You can get more experience. And more importantly, you can learn from people who are doing it at a high level, right? Mm -hmm. Or a higher level. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. And one day, hopefully, you may have the leverage, you may accrue and amass the leverage to be able to get your own project through the system, right? Mm-hmm. But at that point, you will have, have so much like knowledge and wherewithal that it will be a different project than the one you'd pitch as a, yeah. as a, as a novice. That's very true. We tried to get, uh, we had this, you know, this series idea called Tether. Yes, a movie idea. And then it became The Beast. And then we wrote a script for The Beast and we started shopping it around. And the most serious, I guess, opportunity we had, uh, the guy approached us like, hey, this is cool. I like the idea. I like the setting. Here's a structure for how we do our horror films. Mm-hmm. If you guys can rewrite it to match the structure, then we can fund you. And I think it's a perfect example. Where it's like, it's not your passion project. You need to go in and fit somebody else's product that they're trying yes. to deliver and help them deliver what they want to deliver. Yes. And then from there, you know, you meet people, you talk to people and you can refine it from there. But that's very much a realization of like, well, we don't want to make a generic horror movie that hits these beats and we just reskin it to like look like our thing. Like we want to make this. And that's kind of a realization that like the only way we will get to make this is when we have enough audience support and resources to just make it. For sure. You know, you won't be able to talk to anybody else and get their permission to do it or anything like that. Yeah. 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 And. And look, if you want to do the auteur thing, then they got to kind of follow your path. Mm-hmm. Build the audience organically, right? Yeah. Uh, be able to demonstrate that you have an audience waiting for your crazy idea. Or not so crazy idea. Just, just, just for your unconventional concept, right? And then it just becomes a que- like an economics question. Like, yeah. can we, like, how much can we make it for where we retain the the vision and and don't have to start opening it up to get a bigger audience. Yeah. What's that? Finding that balance. And that's, that's a really hard question. I think a lot of people have to like ask themselves, which is like, 
if you don't have an audience right. now, yeah. why would you have an audience just because your thing gets funded? You know, if sure. what you're making now isn't speaking to people or isn't finding a voice or finding people that are passionate about it, more money isn't going to suddenly yeah. There's, change that. There's, um, there's also this other kind of disarming reality of, I don't want to say the movie business, the content business. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of shit that gets paid for, made, completed, and never fucking released. Yeah. Because the, the, the hardest part of the equation is getting distribution. Still. Still. Because, look, if you make a movie for $2 million, yeah, you can dump it on YouTube. But, like, you're going to have a bunch of pissed off investors, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Because <laughs> you're not making any of your money back. Right. So where could you go with a movie for $2 million? Well, it's all that, you know, you've got, you've got, like... Uh, like, if Netflix uh, is like, no, we're good. There's there's international so there's a few markets that you go to like uh like Cannes has one mm -hmm. uh uh AFM the American Film Market that's around like uh, October November in Santa Monica and there are these uh, film markets that you can go to and you show up there with your film and then you sell it individually to uh, international distributors right and you do that with the help of a sales agent. Mm -hmm who goes there with you and tries to get you, okay, we're going to sell France. And, oh, we, we sold France for $50,000. Cool, right? And you piecemeal distribution contracts that way. Hmm. And that works for small movies and huge movies because um, there's a need for product. But again, they're, it's, it's the example you gave about the horror film. They're not looking for you to like get your vision out there. They need a specific thing for their audience, right? right? They know that, hey... We have a slot for a horror movie. Yeah, it's got to be a horror movie. It's got to be a horror movie. And do you have a horror movie? Cool, we can talk, mm -hmm. right? And then you find out like, oh, it's a ghost movie? No, what we found is we ghost movies don't work well in our territory. Home invasion horror movies work well. So we're looking for a home invasion horror movie. And it gets it gets like really specific because again, this industry is old, mm -hmm. right? So, so um. So as much as it seems kind of like random and um and and some of the things the outliers the hits are they're just they're just random and they just kind of blow up but most of it most of the movie business is a margin business mm -hmm. and, it's, and 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 like you can't take risks in a margin business because you know hey it's gonna fucking bomb right <laughs> like like yeah like uh we have a slot to release an action thriller. If we don't release that action thriller and instead we release this dramedy about your life as a screenwriter, <laughs> our company goes under, right? Yeah. Or if we release this action thriller that um, we know, hey, if we have Dolph Lundgren in it or Mickey Rourke in it, and ideally both of them in it, and another MMA fighter, we know it'll sell X number of units. But instead, we don't cast them and we cast like you and your boy. Right? <laughs> then like, yeah. Then it's like, it goes away. And then you realize, like, oh, fuck. This is an old business. So it, it's all been kind of crystallized into, um, into these like models. And do you think there's truth to things like that? Or is it superstition when somebody says, like, oh, if you have Dolph Lundgren in it, it'll sell this many tickets? There's absolutely truth to this. So if you go to like, uh, what's the, uh, not Box Office Mojo, I think that's like a website, right? Mm -hmm. 
and you Google like um, Jason Statham or not Google, you write his name, J write Jason <laughs> Statham, look through all the Jason Statham action movies and you'll mm -hmm. see like, oh shit, there's actually like a trajectory to these things. Mm -hmm. Holy shit. Like they're, they, they make around, around the same amount of money and then all of a sudden theatrically. And then, and then that number like kind of starts going down and down and down and oh, and then he's in the Fast and Furious and now that number starts going up and up and up and up. They're, they're, it's not an exact science, but it's not superstition mm -hmm. either. Yeah. And, and look, this is a sector of the business, but this is most of the business. Yeah. Most of it operates by that, right? So like, I was like kind of laughing, like uh, not, not in a, like a, in a haha mean way like i was watching an old podcast because i again love you guys and i love clint and then you had freddie wong on there and he was like talking about how like oh man my life would be so different if i just focused on making low budget horror movies <laughs> and then i'd be like a working filmmaker today like mm -hmm. making content like pretty regularly and i'd have worked up my way up the ladder but instead i'm like this youtube guy mm -hmm. without a youtube channel i'm like I fucking told you guys that like, <laughs> like, like 10 years ago. That's exactly the advice I gave you guys. I said, okay, look, focus on low budget horror movies and then start adding more action into them and then pivot into like low budget or uh, low budget action thrillers. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And go from there. And then go from there. I, and you know, it's funny, like that path, that doorway opened like multiple times. Yes. And we'd put like a foot on the path and be like, oh, we'd like take our foot back. I, I think. Yeah. Well, it's not the path for you. Right. I mean, this what we're doing now is the it's path. It's not for the me. path for you because and I can get into why, but I don't again, I I, I feel like a douchebag. I'm just kind of like telling I like, you like it is. I like having you break down like what's going on. Here's why it's not the path <laughs> this for you. This is a podcast you. just for me now. <laughs> All right. Here's why that's not was not the path for you. Okay. Uh you're like a tribe leader. Right? You're your path, I always felt, was to build and grow an ecosystem hmm. and, 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 and grow a collective, right? Like mm -hmm. the thing you, every time we would meet, you'd say, yes, you know, I, we don't spend more than we make. I like to give you a really refined accent. Yeah. You. Well, you were fucking refined. In my mind, you were, <laughs> look at your hair, bro. Like you look like a character out of Castlevania. You look like a Belmont. Hell yeah. You know what I mean? I could totally <laughs> see you being a Belmont. Um, and Belmonts are aristocrats. Um, yeah. So that was like, that never necessarily needed to be your path. And the thing is, if you're going and making a, a low budget film for a distributor, mm -hmm. like you kind of have to be exclusive and you kind of have to exclusively do that and then hand it over and then you're done. Mm -hmm. Right. So the whole corridor thing kind of starts fizzling. Yeah. Yeah. hundred yeah. percent. Yeah. Man, interesting stuff. I'm glad that we ended up where we we did and that we made the decisions we did along the way. Like mm -hmm. being able to put my foot into those worlds a little bit, it was like super enlightening and like taught me a bunch. Um, and I would never like give up those experiences, but it also just helped reinforce that like we're on the right path right now. Oh, for sure. At least for myself, you know. For sure. Dude, you're crushing it. Thanks, man. You're crushing it. Everybody here's crushing it. Mm -hmm. You're crushing it too. Appreciate it. Yeah. You are. <laughs> you're kind of, you're doing a lot of the things that I'm like, like, ah, I kind of wish I was doing that too. You know, like you're getting to play with the IPs in a way that I've always kind of wanted to play with them as well, mm. which actually, okay. What's, 
What's your favorite slash what's the best video game movie that's been made or a TV show in your opinion? And what do you think is the like untapped game currently that would make for a really good TV series or movie? So I'm going to be like that annoying guest and say that like I don't have opinions about content. Like, I don't believe that anything's like the best or the worst or any. I just like I don't have opinions. Hmm. Um, and I've trained my mind to not have opinions because I've realized like that some of that's ego because then it's like my perspective based on my the kaleidoscope of sounds and images that make my life and then I'm judging this piece of art and be like well you know what they could have really improved is in the third act (laughs) right so you kind of have to just cut the cord with that because i don't control it so now if i'm not involved in the production of it i just try to look at it as like moment to moment moment to moment like how is this making me feel Hmm. and it's not making me feel good then fine i'll turn it off because i like wasn't feeling didn't make me feel good yeah and that's that's it the moment I start getting into like the ranking of it all, it's not like full negativity, but it feels like a branch off of the tree of negativity. Interesting. Where you're like judging things based off of an arbitrary set of things that actually don't exist, you know? Yeah. It's like, I guess, why, why go through life having to make things good and bad for yourself? It's just like, you, you know, you like it, do more of it and leave yeah. it at that. Like, I had an amazing time watching this movie called Night at the Roxbury. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the one with, uh, was it not Chris Will, Will Ferrell and uh, Will Ferrell Chris Kattan. Chris Kattan, yeah. Uh, love that movie, right? But I'm just, like, enjoying the process of watching this. I'm not trying to analyze, like, the, the, like the shots and the deconstruction and then, you know. So, it, yeah. And it's been, yeah. Okay, let me... Ref- so, I focus on what I can control... Does that make sense? Yeah. Like, and I just focus on what I can control. If I can't control it, then I don't, because I look at it as like every word, every thought is just my life force. Mm -hmm. And if I'm dumping life force into something that I do not control and trying to control it with a narrative, I'm, I'm wasting my energy. Man, where's the wisdom right there? Yeah. Yeah. Cool. That's a, that's a good. Thing to think about <laughs> seriously man well all right i'm gonna hit you with this next question anyways if you had to make a metal gear solid movie yeah how would you approach it have you thought about it at all oh yeah are you a metal gear solid fan oh yeah okay what would your metal gear solid movie look like We actually get it. Like, like, how deep do you want to get into this? Hit me. You know, like, I guess the 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 broad strokes of it. And this is just the broad strokes. Um, and if you'd like to dissect deeper, I'm 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 down. If you want to switch to the next question, I'm down also. I wouldn't make it gritty, right? Mm-hmm. Metal Gear Solid is not the Dark Knight. Yeah, definitely. And the more you try to make it the Dark Knight, the more it like loses what's special about it, right? Mm-hmm. This is a dude who fucking carries around a cardboard box to hide in. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. There's a, 
there's a, there's a, I don't want to say wackiness because again, wackiness, it sounds like judgment, but. But there's a wackiness. There's a wackiness. Yeah. There's, it's, it's not like a negative wackiness. It's not a negative wackiness. Yeah. But there's a, a there's a, there's a wackiness and a self-awareness that it, yeah. that it has. Not Deadpool self-awareness, right? He's not, but, but like, you know, like when I look back at the first Metal Gear, or not, that's not the first Metal Gear, sorry, Metal Gear Solid. Right. So the first PlayStation 1 Metal Gear. Like, what were some of the most memorable moments, right? And it's like, oh shit, the Psycho Mantis moment. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, so it's super wacky. It's super wacky. <laughs> like but it's, it's super intense and cool, but it's but also it's cool. really fun. It's cool, right? So it's it's really just kind of um, not not making it overly gritty, not making it overly like the Dark Knight. Hmm. Interesting. Um, but look, again, I don't think there's a right way or a wrong way to do it. I think that's just that's just how I would approach it. Um, that's yeah. how I see the. That's how I how I see it. I throw throw this to like fifty different people, and you'll get fifty different responses. I don't think one's the right way, one's the wrong way. I don't think there's a right way or wrong way to do anything. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so let's say you're making the movie your way. Mm-hmm. You kind of describe the tone here. What story would you pick? Or combination thereof, or <sighs> sliver thereof. But I feel like you know this is where, um, and this is unique to me because I'm I'm also a writer, you mm-hmm. know, like a someone who can direct and write. Because that these are now like skills I've <laughs> acquired <laughs> through the fuck fourteen years I've been doing this. Um, I would just write an original story, completely, a completely original story. Mm. Why would you do that that way? Just so you can like, like, is that where your inspiration comes from? When like you can just delve into like something with no predetermined like construct and you just go for it? Uh, just, I, I, I don't know. Just for Metal Gear, that's, that's, that's just how I would, that, that, that's, that's what I would want to do. And like, then I would kind of ask the question like, okay, is this appropriate for the fan base? Am I delivering? Because also when you're like working with, with, with big brands like that and you're working with, um, you know, and that would be like a big, big budget film because there, there isn't really a low budget version of, right. of, 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 of Metal Gear. Then I would ask the hard questions of myself, like, okay, is this approach delivering the experience for the pre-existing fan base? Mm-hmm. And is it uh, opening the door to converting people who are potential fans into fans, right? And, mm-hmm. and... And if the answer is no, then I then I'm just not the right guy to I'm just not the right guy to do that. Yeah. Right. And I think like again, Metal Gear is such a specific one. Um yeah, Metal Gear is just such a such a specific one. And to be fair, I don't look at myself as the right person to do that or the right person to do anything, right? Like, <laughs> like I, I just kind of things come to me and um and I'm just grateful that opportunities come to me and only want to proceed if they're in a hundred percent alignment with the people involved and the audience you know that's probably a really good way to make sure you don't don't end up doing something that later on just crumbles and turns into a big stress ball and making sure that the everything's set correctly from the get-go and and like and not make a decision out of ego Mm -hmm. right because if if you're working with a 
with a with a beloved property like Metal Gear. And I think Metal Gear is also an interesting one because then there's also the Kojima element, right? It's not. Yeah, I mean, it, it's not. It's this not, is a very hypothetical argument because right. yeah, Kojima would obviously like be like, "This is like I'm going to make Metal Gear the movie," you know? Sure, but the the other way of just I, I guess just removing it from the Metal Gear of it all, right? Mm -hmm. In that in that specific in instance, it's like working with an author mm. on a book, right? It's like it's like adapting Harry Potter. Yeah, there's an auteur who had a vision there, right? Yeah. So you're so you've kind of got two paths here. You can either uh, be their executor. Right, mm -hmm. like go to J.K. Rowling and say, "Okay, what are you, we're gonna we're gonna translate the Sorcerer's Stone into a movie, mm. or go in and just like literally do your own, you know, Frank Miller Dark Knight Returns it, right? And do your own, do your do your own, your own thing, write your, you know, uh, 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 uh paint your own, graffiti it or, or stamp put your own stamp on it, right?" Now, if the situation doesn't call for that and you try to push it that way, that's just ego, mm -hmm. right? But there are a lot of situations that do actively call for that, mm -hmm. right? Where like, they're like, look, we need your take on, I don't fucking know, G.I. <laughs> <G>. Joe, <laughs> right? Because we did like all these things and they didn't quite land. The way we wanted them to land, so we need like a uh, like a like a fresh take, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, I feel like the the challenge with all that stuff, especially like when working with an IP that's, well, especially when working with like a game IP, like if you wanted to translate Metal Gear Solid or really any like Halo or any like crazy beloved video game thing to the screen, is like the ideal world is where you you capture what made it good so that everybody or you capture what made it I guess inspiring so that everybody that like got into that IP can enjoy what you make but then ideally you also capture whatever it was in there that made you love it in the first place so that people who are seeing it for the first time feel that same spark you know like if you can capture the thing that like made you go like dang metal gear solid is a great game if you can capture that and bring that into your movie or your tv show for people who haven't played metal gear solid and be like wow this is really cool metal gear solid is a really cool world or snake is a really cool character like that's where like things really succeed, but it's hard to really do that, to be able to like double capture that, the genius that worked once and then like bring it to life again. Sure. And it's also tricky. It, it adds a, a, an additional layer of trickiness when that game uses so much of the language of cinema yeah. to achieve that effect, right? Yeah. It's like making a Grand Theft Auto movie. Yeah, it's like there's already a huge movie in Grand Theft Auto right. already. <laughs> Yeah. Um, because I would argue in a lot of ways, Grand Theft Auto is like an engine. There actually is a Grand Theft Auto movie. Did you know that? I didn't know that. Yeah. So, uh, this is, this is a crazy story. So, uh, I believe in the seventies, Ron Howard wrote, directed, and starred in a Grand Theft Auto movie produced really? by Roger Corman. Yeah. Really? Yeah. So Roger Corman, who's, uh, and he's, he was like a legendary BC movie financier producer he had like a like a, his own studio where he would just churn out these like uh genre movies back in the day and a lot of household name filmmakers like ron howard james cameron like a lot of these guys got their start working for roger corman hmm. so he's like a you know revered revered figure uh, of sorts in 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 the business kind of much obviously much much older um 
But yeah, he made this movie called Grand Theft Auto, uh, starring, written, directed by Ron Howard. Uh, and it feels very much like Grand Theft Auto. <laughs> so, so, so Roger Corman ran around selling the rights to Grand Theft Auto <laughs> and Fox um, uh, uh, optioned it like in the 2000s hmm. and started developing Grand Theft Auto for Eminem. Huh. Um, I can't remember who wrote the script. This is just blanking on me, but this was like a script that people liked. Um, wow. And I, anyways, the rights lapsed. Fox just didn't get involved. And then I found out about this. So I tried to get the rights from Roger Corman, right? <laughs> and then, you know, so this is like, oh, fuck, 2008, 2009. I'd literally been in LA for months and I heard about this. And I'm like, you know how I work, right? I'm just kind of like, I become like a target. I'm like, wait, what? Grand Theft Auto is available? Uh, where? How? <laughs> Who do I have to call? Who do I have to call? So I get a meeting with Roger Corman. I'm trying to like figure this out. And, and I, don't, I have no idea what the fuck I'm doing, right? So I'm, I'm winging it. But you know when you're winging it? You have more bravado than when you know. Oh, 100%. Right? right? Yeah. Because you don't want them to know that you're winging it. <laughs> you don't know that you're winging it. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. you're, you're, like you're like behaving like a character from a fucking movie. Make it which is make like it. what I did from most of my 20s. I was just behaving like a character. I was like, oh, Fast and Furious. Okay, I'm going to behave like that guy. It's all about family. Yeah, and then, you know. Um, so, so, yeah. like, uh, And then, I like, through four degrees of separation... There are these two brothers, I believe, my memory says Morel, who who like kind of created Grand Theft Auto, like in the game. The game, yeah. I'm not. I don't know if they're brothers, but yeah. There's two, there's like two basically guys. two dudes, like Sam something, and yeah, yeah, like Dan something. Yes. Yeah. And so, uh, I knew through again four degrees of separation. I get in touch with one of the dudes' neighbor. Neighbors. Oh wow! Yeah, I got my twenty. Three. I'm like, I, <laughs> complete delusion here, right? Um, so uh, I, I tell this guy, hey, uh, can you just stop this guy and like hand him a note? I'll like email you a note, keep it on my hand in the note, right? And and um and, and I knew that like I couldn't be like, hi, sir. I would like really like to make a Grand Theft Auto movie. Please, please, please. It was a matter of quest was like, yo, dog, I'm making a Grand Theft Auto movie and I'm getting the rights. You know what I mean? Like yeah. that. That whole thing. And uh, and yeah, then I heard back from like Rockstar Legal and we like went back and forth for a while and they were like, hi, uh, you're a friend of the court. Do not go down this road. Uh, our Grand Theft Auto game rights have eclipsed any movie rights. So like literally if you're going to make a Grand Theft Auto movie, it has to be like a strict remake of that movie that Ron Howard uh, directed and started. Wow. And I'm like, kind of weighing my options. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, well, why don't we just work together and I'll make the Grand Theft Auto movie for you, for Rockstar. You know what I mean, I'm yeah. trying that. Um, also, the the week I moved to LA, I just uh, got in touch with Nintendo, like Nintendo America. And I just was like, oh my God, I was, I was fucking insane, dude. I like, I like get in touch with them and I write this whole thing. Uh, and I, I, who was I talking to? Again, this was a while ago, but I, I basically started talking to like, high up executives in Nintendo. And I was like, look, I will make, it has to be a two picture deal. I can't just commit, you know, <laughs> to one movie with you guys. It has to be two. Just that's right out of the gate with Nintendo. Yeah. It, it was like, yeah. It, how do you I, even, how do you even get in touch with Nintendo as a 23 year old? 
you just find their number and you call them and you leave a message. <laughs> That's sh- it? Yeah. People will call you back, dude. This is like, look, like getting in touch with Steven Spielberg, that's fucking hard, right? Dude has mm-hmm. gatekeepers and this, and there's like people trying to get in touch with them. Most corporate entities, like there are people there to answer the phones. They'll call you back. They'll fucking call you back. Someone will have a conversation with you somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, Yeah. And I just realized like, oh, you can just call people up and their information is somewhere on the internet, right? And I mm-hmm. figured out how to get their information and I would just call them up and start having conversations. Huh. Like I I flew to Atlanta on a red eye and went like deep, deep, deep into the fucking um uh like kind of like the farm area to meet with the uh what's his name? Xavier Xavier something. He like created the cabbage patch kit. Hmm. I wanted to make a hard hard cabbage patch kit. <laughs> <laughs> that would be uh, sweet. Yeah. And like, you know. Um so the rock star thing. Grand Theft Auto never happened, huh? No, no, of course not. You, you, <laughs> I mean, I know we, the answer. We would, all, yeah. we would all know about this if it had <laughs> happened. Uh, but, but I guess I don't know why we got into that, but I or, or how this story, how we landed on this story. But the point is, I realized when I first moved out here that people were like a degree of separation, and also video games weren't looked at as this like AAA premium IP, right? They were like giving the shit to UA Bowl. Yeah. Yeah, right. That. Some of the biggest games ever have adaptations by UA Bull. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, well, like so, like th- was there like some sort of like tax thing going on with him? Like, how did he continue to make all these games that were, or videos that are just not videos, sure. well, movies that are like th- that is what it is, right? Like, um, you know, direct to video, low budget films get made all the time. That again, these are they're, they're they just got the rights and made it's, them. It's what we're talking about about the the. The distribution slots. Yeah. Right. What to me was was shocking was that the game companies were allowing this to happen <laughs> with their intellectual property. Yeah. Right. Yeah, just over and over. I mean, uh, w- what did he do? He, he did obviously Far Cry. Far Cry, House of the Dead. House of the Dead. Blood Rain. Blood Rain. Uh, uh, Alone in the Dark, Fate of the Dark, something like that. Yeah. Um, Postal. Mm-hmm. There's a fantasy one that has Jason Statham in it. I can't remember. Yeah, it's like Under Siege or Dragon yeah. Siege. Or, yeah. 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 And probably like one or two more that I can't remember. That's crazy. So yeah, like, you know, it was like getting in touch with rights holders. I mean, I, the the week I moved, not before I even moved to LA, my strategy was I made an Excel spreadsheet and I had every single piece of intellectual property that I loved growing up on it. And then I tried to figure out who owned it. Hmm. And I just called them. I was like, hey, is this available? Huh. And someone would fucking hit you back and be like, no, fuck you. Or, <laughs> or uh, yes, let's talk, you know? Yeah. And then they would talk a little bit and we're like, you're a child. Call me, <laughs> call me in 20 years. <laughs> you know? Um, but, but yeah, no, I, I like, it was, it was a huge education experience. And I also like would get like hyper close, you know, like um, the things like, and by the way, I wasn't focused on the kind of content that I do now, which mm-hmm. is my passion. Like I'm passionate about the stuff I do now. I was looking at everything. Like I was like, why is there no hard R Captain Crunch movie? Right. Mm-hmm. Like wh- wh- where's like the horror movie with Tony the Tiger? Like, <laughs> you know, yeah. um, uh, you know, I looked at like, like Voltron, I, like, uh, had a conversation about Paddington bear, like, cause I grew up, uh, 
in Hong Kong, which was a British colony. So I was very familiar with like the, uh, the British IP, mm-hmm. the, 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 the British IP, right? Yeah. Um, the, the one that I was like, the one I got like closest on, and I don't remember fully why this didn't materialize, but it was something to do with me. And again, this is early in my career, right? Like later on, I got access to different stuff and whatnot, but uh, I loved Indian in the Cupboard. Mm. I wanted to like do Indian in the Cupboard. So I yeah. like got in touch with the author and went down the road on that. They did end up making the movie for that too. They did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They made one movie, but yeah. the, there were like five books. Right. Yeah, it's a good movie. Yeah. Yeah, Darth Vader's in it. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, you want to talk about uh, Guardians of Justice at all? Sure. So I, I'll, I'll intro it, even though you're going to probably do a much better job introing it. But you've been working on this project for years and years and years. And it's funny because like we shot a scene for you way back in the day. Yeah. And it's funny, like there's so much time elapsed that when it came out, people were like, did you know this movie? is using some of your stuff. And it's like, yeah, we know. <laughs> it's like so many people reached out to us like thinking that you guys had just ripped us off. <laughs> like, I mean, I, I did there. rip you off, but in a consensual way. <laughs> in a consensual way. It was exciting. Um, <laughs> no, I remember being like, hey, Nico, I, I, I want you to do this thing and only you can do it. So yep. Can you please do it? And you're like, yeah, sure. And I'm like, oh, thank you. Love you, man. <laughs> that was great. Seven years later. And seven years later, I came or, out. Or actually, it was probably like five and a half years after you shot the thing. Maybe. Yeah. And now I have a little five, Netflix five credit or IMDb credit. Yeah. <laughs> Which Dude, is you're great. A Netflix filmmaker, man. Hell yeah. yeah boom. boom. I always make do, I always make good on my promises. That's what I said. I said, yep. yeah. Yeah. So when you first started that project and like along the way, you know, a lot of what you would, we were talking about, I was like, it was an extension of your bootleg universe, but also a way for you to take a lot of these ideas and characters, you know, that were close to you in like ways you wanted to twist them a little bit. And you're just like, well, let's just not call him Superman. Let's just not call him Batman. But we yeah. get it. It's basically that archetype. Mm-hmm. And, and so you got to finally ju- kind of jump into these characters and make your own story and your own world around this. But, uh, you know, it obviously took five or six years to do yes. So I'm a little bit curious, like, what was the journey like? Why did it take so long? And like, what did you learn about that process and kind of your love for the characters and this, that medium along the way? So there's also, I mean, so Guardians of Justice opens with a suicide, mm-hmm. right? Which is a, a great story opening, in my opinion. Yeah, it's like basically Superman is depressed. You know, he, he talks about how he's got super hearing. So he hears the whole world screaming for help all the time. Yeah. If he goes to sleep and he wakes up, someone's died and he feels guilt because he could have done something about it. Right. And then he takes a loads of kryptonite bullet into a gun and he shoots himself in the head on live TV. Mm-hmm. That's how it opens. Such a good opening. Appreciate it. Um, without getting into the, I mean, we, we can get into it if you'd like, but like there's a huge personal element to the story mm-hmm. in and of itself. Right. So, that in and of itself, when you make something that's personal, yeah, there's, you know, Superman and Batman, and The Flash, and Wonder Woman, and all that. There's, there's that. But also, ultimately, the story was personal. When you make something that personal, it, it takes an emotional toll on you 
that is hard to explain, you know? Mm-hmm. It's hard to, it's just hard to explain. It, 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 yeah, it feels almost like giving birth. I've never given birth, so I shouldn't fucking say that. Like, <laughs> like, or, or like father, you know, like fatherhood or something mm-hmm. like that. Like I, I don't have any children, but like. Yeah, you're pouring, your, you're pouring yourself into it. And of course, the vessel that you're pouring yourself into does not always, not always reflect what you're pouring into it necessarily. And then, and then like you got to fight certain impulses that you don't, that, that you're not aware that you have to fight, like uh, perfectionism. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, being a control freak. On a parallel path, right? Uh, the way the story's told through 16 different mediums, mm-hmm. you know, live action, 2D animation, 3D animation, stop motion, claymation, like fucking just every, you know, like South Park paper animation, <laughs> first person POV, you know what I mean? Like just, it, it's hard to explain the show unless mm. you watch it right would you is that fair to say yeah imagine trying to explain the show when the show doesn't exist right and you kind of learned the show along the way too i didn't have i, I realized how bad of a communicator i used to be i didn't know because mm. i just thought like i was this amazing communicator right <laughs> <laughs> then you get into it and you're like oh my god i'm just like not fucking specific <laughs> at all in how i speak like like my words are like kind of like I'm I'm like kind of like a brat in the way I use my words. Get fucking specific, man. Mm-hmm. When you say hair, what do you mean? How how short? How they what, what? Um, and and it forced me to become someone who could finish the show. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Like I didn't start that project. Take the vision aside. Take the personal aspect aside. Take Superman and Batman. Take all that aside. I did not start that project. As the person that could finish that project. I had right. to become the person who could amass the tools and the emotional maturity to finish that project. Yeah. So looking at it now, how do you feel about it? Like, do you feel like it's this, you feel like it was this thing that represents kind of your growth and step into like the new era of, of who you are now? I don't really think about it. Yeah. I don't really think about it. You know, because ultimately, um, I, I realized that there's 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 a version of life where you're kind of having these expectations, and they may come in the forms of hopes and dreams. They may feel positive, mm-hmm. but the universe is going to deliver something for you in an unexpected way, and it's about being prepared for the unexpected. It's about stepping into the unknown without fear. Mm-hmm. And I let go of any sense of like attachment, ownership, uh, expectation. And that process somehow emotionally cut the cord about of like feeling anything. It's more of an experience. Hmm. It's like I experienced this thing that is out in the ether that some people respond to very passionately because they fucking love it. Right. They're like, nothing like this exists. I fucking love it. When making something like that, don't you still have to kind of judge if it's working or not, if it's good or bad, so you can like get it to the point where it's working. Yes. So how do you do that while also still kind of cutting that cord? Um, it's a great question. You know, I, I've, and I, I've I've learned this from producing mm-hmm. and working with very hyper talented individuals 
that should be fucking James Cameron household names who just sabotage, right? And um, and just kind of observing what the thing that what is the unifying thing that leads to that kind of self-sabotage and it's 100 percent of the time it's ego hmm. and it's ego so deep that there's a lack of awareness that it's even ego how do you, think how, that how do you they, define ego just uh just so we're on the same i don't point. i don't know i don't know how to define ego i mean i can i can observe it right because mm -hmm. there's like there's like the soul there's like the soul there's the alien piloting the the the, <laughs> the exoskeleton yeah right uh-huh and then there's the this being that thinks that it is the kaleidoscope of sounds and images and is building stories around everything. Mm -hmm. That's the ego. Okay. Right? Look, yeah. storytelling's great, but where are we right now? America? Bullshit. America doesn't exist. These are these are these are constructs, right? right. And they're constructs that are, 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 are made up and like passed down, right? This is microphones, a made up word, right? <laughs> yeah. And like, it, it, it's like, if you get too attached to the story, if you get too attached to the construct, then you're in the ego. Mm -hmm. uh, how I see it. And you're in the ego. And, and then you're the driven by the ego. Pardon? And that's where the self-sabotage starts? Yeah, because the ego wants to preserve itself, preserve its identity. So then you're out being like, you know, and, and then, then you lose, and, and here's where it fucks you. You lose sight that you are the architect of your reality. You are the architect of your life. Mm -hmm. Everything that you have, has, has been constructed around you are a series of decisions that you're making. That's manifesting them, mm -hmm. these, these things, right? Yeah. And there's a version where, they, where life is happening for you. And then there's a version where life is happening against you, mm -hmm. right? So there's, these are like different realities you can step into. Um, and when I meet people who, and this has nothing to do with talent, dude. It has nothing to do with talent. When people like identify too much with their avatar, and they're like, I'm from this place. I'm from this socioeconomic thing. I do then this, this and this. And then, then you're like, you're effectively stuck in that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Did that make sense? Makes sense. Or did I go like too woo? Like, I, I don't no, know. If, okay, that makes it's sense. It's good. It's yeah. good. Yeah. <laughs> you got to get a little bit of that woo for you to even like, you know, you got to land the plane somewhere, but first right. you got to get in the air to land the plane. Sure. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, like when I've, when I've observed like ego at play, it just fucking sabotages every single time. Mm -hmm. And when you can kind of start peeling away the layers of the ego, because it's not just a binary thing. There's like layers to this, right? Mm -hmm. And there are things that like trigger people, right? Like um, if you were, you know, bullied, with, you know, when you were young or something, and then like you, you can, you come face to face with the high school bully, like, or the middle school or whatever, like the, or maybe it was like a uh, like a parent that mistreated you. Your your body wants to like flip into revenge, right? That's mm -hmm. kind of the paradoxical nature of life, mm -hmm. right? Like if you feel unloved or mistreated, your natural it's natural like like the the human mind wants to snap into revenge to get to like yeah. get even. It's like if somebody's mean to you, you're mean to them, right? But 
the paradox is if you do that, you're also poisoning yourself. Yeah. Right. If you pick the path of revenge, you're fucking poisoning yourself. That's the paradox. So it's like l- cutting the cord with it, letting it go, realizing that that has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with them. Mm-hmm. Easier said than done. Right. But easier said than done. Right. So the more you can kind of cut the cord with that shit, those are the programs that are running around in your mind effectively like controlling you because then you're being, you're being led and driven by trauma. Mm-hmm. Right. So again, if you're a, like, again, so many talented people I know, like, like much older than me, right. Generate. Cause again, I, when I was young, I was working with much older people. Like, I'm like, dude, you're trying to prove something to someone else. You're trying to prove something to yourself. How about existing in a vibration of not having to prove? How about you do this because you love it? Mm-hmm. It'll it'll spark a different thing. It, it'll the art will come out a little differently. You'll enter a reality of ease. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we always talk about like when you're filming art. something, if you can enjoy it, it shows on camera. Right, art doesn't have to be pain. Right. Right. There, there are all these like things that people <laughs> latch onto sometimes. So, you know, um, yeah, the more you cut the cord with the ego, then the more you're just looking at things objectively. And um, I think for me personally on Guardians of Justice, there was a lot of fear there because mm-hmm. my mind works unconventionally. Right. You've, you've told me this, you know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Like, you're like, dude, when you talk, you're not saying shit. Like, (laughs) I'm like, really? I spent a lot of time in isolation. I don't know. I don't know. (laughs) Um, and yeah, there was like fear there. I like legitimate, like fucking fear. Like, Hey, is this going to make sense? Like, are people going to buy that? I'm shifting into all these different fucking mediums, like every five seconds. Mm Mm-hmm. But then I realized like, look, that's just fear. This is how my mind works. This is genuinely how my mind works. Like if I'm lost in my thoughts, it is very much like Guardians of Justice. Mm-hmm. So. So you make it and. Yeah. People either like it or they don't. And that's fine. Whatever they want. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, so yeah. Yeah. I definitely feel like that's, that's like the, you know, the, the highest level of martial arts for like art is when you're just like, it's cool. I'm just making it. Whatever. The planet's going to burn up in five billion years and none of it matters. Like, whatever. (laughs) I try to engage with art with no attachment Mm -hmm. to the outcome. But then if you're doing that, Mm because here's the thing, I was just like, well, whatever. But at the same time, it's like, it's not whatever because you are passionate about it and you do make it. So somehow you need to like find this balance between like this drive and this desire and this push. Okay. But but here's where the balance is. I can control how I show up. Mm. Yeah. I can control the version of Adi Shankar that shows up, right? I can control the version of Adi Shankar that is here to lead, right? Mm-hmm. I'm not in control of anything or anyone else. Right. And if I'm focused on other things, other people. Oh, what is this critic going to say? Oh, hey, there's this fucking troll guy and I, I want to stick it to him, you know, like, or whatever it is. <laughs> I'm not in control of that. Mm-hmm. I'm in control of how I show up. That's it. Yeah. So I'm passionate. Great. I can control taking my passion and positively putting it into a piece of art. Mm-hmm. That's 
That's it. Everything else, and this is fucking terrifying, everything else is not under my control. Everything else is a random series of events that, or maybe not random, maybe it's an orchestration by a higher power. Mm -hmm. But either way, I'm not in control of that. Mm -hmm. So the outcome's the same either way. Outcome's the same either way. But if I focus on the task at hand and focus on the present, then my highest vibrational self will infuse itself into the piece of art. Yeah. I definitely, I get that. It's a definitely, it's a great spot to be. It can be really hard to get there. It can be really scary to get there. And I feel like there's a lot of working through it that you need to do first before you can even yes. be there. And then you realize that the fear comes from the expectation, mm -hmm. right? Because you get so locked on this one outcome. And then you're like, oh, I'm so attached to this outcome. What if that doesn't, what if that outcome doesn't happen? Mm -hmm. Right? That's the fear. Once you cut the cord of that and you're like, what's going to happen is going to happen. Mm -hmm. I'm only in control of how I show up. And if you try your best and you're showing up as your best, it sounds like a freaking school motivational video, but <laughs> you try your best and you show up doing your best. The outcome doesn't matter because you couldn't have done any better in a way. And trust that the universe has a plan for you. And it will, it will materialize. It will materialize. Mm -hmm. You know, a closed door, a failure, a, a failure, a rejection, those aren't like, those aren't bad things. They just kind of, one door closes and, and you've seen this in your business. One door closes and four other open. Mm -hmm. And then you go, okay, these four doors are open. Which one, which door is in my highest excitement and which, which door feels most aligned with what I want to step into? Mm -hmm. And then you step into that, right? Yeah. Where you get trapped is if four doors open, one door closes, you're in fear. You're like, oh my God, my career's over. Everything's over. It fucking sucks. <laughs> oh my God. Oh my God. Four doors are open. And then you pick based on fear, mm -hmm. not on alignment, not on highest excitement, not on like, what do I want to step into? You pick on fear. You're like, this one, this one's the sure thing. Mm-hmm. And the sure thing is usually not the sure thing, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Yeah. And then you end up doing that sure thing when a little while later, you're like, man, this sucks. Why am I doing this? <laughs> yeah. You're not passionate about it. Yeah. Right. Because again, then you start, then that puts you further down the path of focusing on shit that you can't control because you're not passionate about the thing you're actually doing in the moment. Mm -hmm. You can't pour your passion into something. You can't show up as the highest version of yourself because the highest version of yourself would have picked the other fucking door. <laughs> right? Yeah. So why do you, why do you even do it in the first place? What, like what's driving you to go out and like pursue like making projects? Me? Yeah. Joy. Just the joy of doing it? Yes. I really enjoy doing what I do. I really deeply enjoy it. Mm -hmm. I'm not trying to change the world. Like that's not, you know, at the end of the day, if I have 15 shows on Netflix, 15 fucking shows on Netflix, right? Mm -hmm. Guess what? People have a phone. They have a bunch of icons. One of them is an icon that within that icon are 15 other icons <laughs> among thousands of icons, right? <laughs> Not changing the world, bro. Not changing the world. <laughs> You're making like little dents mm -hmm. that permeate. Yeah. In, in, in one shape, form, another, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and we can also debate endlessly 
about the nature of creativity and the nature of ideas and where the fuck does that actually come from, right? Is that coming from a higher source? Is that coming from you? Is it is it some sort of like transmutation between a higher source and your trauma that's like uh, commingling to amalgamate and then create uh, a, a work of art? Like we we can talk endlessly about that. But if it's not rooted in joy and you and it's like a painful process, what the fuck are you doing, dude? Like, mm -hmm. What the fuck are you doing? Yeah. So why are you doing that to yourself? Yeah. You know? Especially when you're in a position where it's like so many other people want to be where you are. So if you don't like doing it, like step away and let somebody else step in. And don't get me wrong. There are a lot of like painful moments, right? You know, mm -hmm. like, like, uh, like learning, learning is, is not easy. Amassing skills aren't easy. Like the, 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 the 200, 300 failures you have to go through, the failures you have to go through, which are just learning lessons in order to like get to some level of mastery where you can kind of sort of maybe do something, right? Mm -hmm. It's like a painful, it's a painful exercise, right? Mm -hmm. But you have to really believe in the, in the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. And I don't mean like money. I mean, just kind of like magic life gold <laughs> like, <laughs> like uh at the end of the rainbow you have to really believe in that 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 that's 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 joy mm -hmm. and that joy comes from the process right because like if you're fixated on dude i'm becoming a fucking preachy motherfucker i'm sorry <laughs> it's I'm a so podcast sorry. man so you're supposed is to is that do. what you're supposed to do fuck all right like you know like I, look i just i i don't And I'm saying this because I'm saying this to myself because my, because my mind works in like a very visual, you, you, you've, we've talked about this, like, like fucking very visual. Like I see snapshots and like taking a lot of information that allows me to kind of understand the macro and kind of see trends and, and, and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Right. But if I let that kind of predictive thing run me, then I'm not chasing joy. I'm just chasing trends. Yeah, just being a statistician, effectively. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and and yeah, and then you also don't want to be chasing like a moment. You know, it's cool if you're like writing wrestling storylines, but <laughs> then it's all built around you know, like oh, okay, the Undertaker is gonna hit this tombstone at WrestleMania, and the crowd's gonna go nuts because it, or whatever you can chase. You can build wrestling around a moment, but like, yeah, if you're not, if you, if the process isn't bringing you joy and you're just doing it because you're like, oh man, I'm going to get this one great review and then I'm going to go to this one place and this one guy is going to give me a high five. Like, whoa, dude, no. <laughs> yeah. Cause if you just build around moments, well, let's say you even hit, you get the moment, you get your perfect moment. You're like, yes. A few seconds later, the moment's done. Yeah. And that's it. Yeah. Like, great. And then, you're, <laughs> and, then, and then you're depressed because you're, you're living in the, you know, depression's living in the past. Anxiety's mm -hmm. living in the future. Wow. So then you're like, so then you're like existing in anxiety mm -hmm. for this one hypothetical moment that might never fucking come <laughs> or show up the way you want it to show up. Then the moment happens, you get a snap thing of joy or whatever. And you're probably like anxious. You're like, oh my God, I can't believe it's fucking happening. Ah. <laughs> and then you're depressed because you're living in the past. You're like reliving that moment. You're like, remember, remember that when that moment happened? 
Everything was great. <laughs> that was the guy, you know? Yeah. You know, one of the things we talk about a lot here is like consistency. Like yes. everything comes through consistency and Absolutely. just doing it over and over, which is another fancy way of saying the process, right? The process and consistency are kind of the same thing. And, yes. you know, granted you, in a world of like art, you're working towards an end product, but the act of creating it should be something that you are enjoying doing because ideally that's something that you're doing every day as long as you're doing that as your career, if not for your entire life. Yes. And, you know, it's great to like build towards your like, this is my grand epic vision. And that's cool. But now you're starting to build towards that moment where like if that thing comes out and everybody doesn't care and like five people will watch it or whatever, it's like, well, now you're going to be sad. Whereas if you just enjoyed what you were doing every day, working with the people that right. you work with. Yeah. And like it's fulfilling for you. Then it comes out. It's like, great. People like it. And if it comes out, people don't like it. It's like, ah. Yeah. You know, well, that sucks. Yeah. Oh, well. For me, the gift was I got to make <laughs> Guardians of Justice. That's it. Mm -hmm. that, that, that's literally all I focus on. Yeah. And I retweet when people like tweet nice shit about it. And they're like, oh my God, this is so cool. I'm like, great. I retweet it. That's it. Yeah. And I'm grateful that someone took the time to watch it. And I'm. Yeah. Yeah. But that's. I think that's a lot of where my gratitude comes from too. Is when like when somebody just takes the time to watch something you made or to look at something you made. It's like, that's really cool. Thank you for doing that. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> yeah. So I think to, to, to steer this boat away from these life lessons, there is a good, a good time. We had a lot of great life lessons here. It was good stuff. But you talked about, you know, how you see trends and yeah. that kind of stuff. What do you see happening right now with, uh, with the art that we consume with media? You know, it's like, there's all these new streaming channels, you know, there's Netflix, Netflix, there's Apple, there's movies, maybe question mark. Are movies still a thing? Are movies going to be a thing? Like what, what do you see happening in, in the world around you right now? So I, I don't feel like there's new streaming channels. I think these are, these are, these are the incumbents striking back. Mm -hmm. So just like Hulu has obviously been around. I mean, Apple's relatively new, obviously. Sure, but 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 Apple has existed as an entity right for a long fucking time, yeah. right? So we've got these handful of we're, we're effectively rebuilding the studio system of old, mm. right? So there's going to be a handful of incumbent distributors, buyers, Netflix, HBO, Apple, um, someone else, someone else, right? Mm -hmm. And that makes sense because that's that's kind of where that that's where the 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 ship was heading. Yeah, um, doesn't feel too dissimilar to how it used to be, mm -hmm. uh, you know. And then you look at like it's all just content at the end of the day. I hate the word content, but I use it because I think it's funny. <laughs> I'm like, oh, I'm this artist, then I use the word content. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, um. Yeah, it's all just content. Now, whether your content is like 30 minutes, 90 minutes, uh, 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 fucking a thousand minutes, it's just, it's content. Yeah. And it's going to live on one of these, these platforms, right? And I think the delineation between TV and movies, it's kind of an archaic, an archaic thing because that was built around uh, the two distribution platforms that existed right. in, in the 20th century, one being the movie theater, the other one being the television that then got invented decades after the movie theater mm -hmm. right yeah and so then they were programming first for the movie theater which you know in the beginning even had like live orchestras there 
Mm-hmm. They were figuring that model out. It didn't get crystallized into like, okay, we're going to have 90 minute movies and then we're going to churn them out and we're going to have another 90 minute movie. And then we're going to have like, you know, it, that didn't get, <laughs> that didn't like happen until, until pretty recently. Like they were yeah. still figuring out the movie thing um, uh, for, for decades. So, um, and then TV was built around, okay, this is free. It's at home. It's built around commercial breaks. It's free because it's built around commercial breaks. And we only have like three networks, NBC, ABC, uh, and CBS. Mm-hmm. And this is, uh, the, 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 so there's like the movie and then there's the, like the, 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 like the TV thing. And then when you cut to like the seventies, sort of like in the sixties, Hollywood was making like these, the studio system of Hollywood was making these like musicals, mm-hmm. like Robin Hood musicals. These very like kind of sanitary, basic things and that gave rise to the independents who started making movies like easy rider and that led to this entire creative revolution of movies like the godfather and rosemary's baby and everything that fucking came after it right like star wars and jaws (laughs) and like everything that we we look today as like iconic things of of the past um and it made sense to me then why the movie theater was the movie theater and the tv channel was the tv channel the tv channel was safe right there's a right there was like an fcc that monitored what could and could not fucking go on that thing Mm -hmm. and the theater wasn't really a safe place it was like kind of a marketplace of ideas it was almost like the uh like like voltaire and those guys in the uh in the during the enlightenment in the which i think enlightenment was like 1700s kind of it's a marketplace of ideas you go in you you're you're transported in another world of like Either like you know, in space, criminals like the past, the, the 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 future, like the Wild West, and there were these auteurs who started like telling you these very specific stories, mm-hmm. and that's why the delineation was what it was. And then, you know, corporate America comes in in the eighties, corporatizes the shit out of the movie thing, and then starts sowing the seeds of like the 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 sequels and the franchises. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, you know, TV got more complicated because you you go from three channels to five to 10 to 15 to like almost an infinite number of channels. Mm-hmm. And now we're at a weird spot because streaming isn't TV. Right. It's its own thing. It's its own medium. Yeah, there's no commercials that they're trying to right. keep you hooked for. Right. There's like, no longer like every 10 minutes a cliffhanger happens. Right. Or, or it doesn't have to be 22 minutes. Right. It doesn't have to be anything. Um, do I think that there's value in the distribution apparatus that necessitates people showing up at a location at a specific time to watch something in unison together, aka the movie theater? Mm-hmm. For sure. Right? But there was a law passed, I believe in the 50s, I think it was the Glass-Steagall Act, uh, which mandated that uh, movie theaters could not be owned by movie studios. Right. So they had to be separated, right? It's a monopolization thing, yeah. Right. Um, and then also like agencies, it, talent agents couldn't repre- it couldn't couldn't also own the movie studios. Right. You can't, so, so, so the law was <laughs> you can't represent the talent, make the content and distribute the content and own the means of distri- distribution. Right? Mm. Now, interestingly enough, Korea, Korea doesn't 
have those laws. So Korea is completely vertically integrated. Hmm. And they it, it worked out just fine for them. Yeah. Like their film industry is fucking robust. It moves really fast. Uh, it's cutting edge. Yeah. Right. Makes um, some great stuff. Yeah. In a lot of ways, what these antitrust laws did, and again, good intentions, but they ended up creating jobs for a litany of middle people mm -hmm. that make the cost of everything go way the fuck up. So I think last time we were here, uh, we talked about how if you're Warner Brothers and you release a movie in theaters, the theater takes 50%. Yeah. Right Boom. off the bat, which is fucking insane. But now that law has been repealed, hmm. right? So Netflix, Amazon, Apple, Disney could theoretically buy theater chains hmm. or just open their own theater, right? And program however you want. And then you're no longer kind of locked in to a format, right? Right, Like a Game of Thrones type deal. Well, shit, a new episode comes out every week. You could buy a season pass where people are coming in every week. You know what I mean? Like yeah. there's, there's different models to it. And I think then the question was, so in the past, like you talk like 10 years and before, the movie thing, the theatrical experience used to drive the value of the downstream value of the content. Mm -hmm. And by downstream value, I mean like, okay, uh, it got a wide theatrical release from Warner Brothers. That meant that it was worth more on premium TV. That meant it was worth more on free TV. That meant that that it would theoretically sell more DVDs. That meant that the international distribution deals were much higher, right? Mm -hmm. So the theatrical release was this big driver of downstream value. I don't know if that's going to be the case going forward because we already saw the shift uh, for independent movies, like non-blockbuster movies, where the theatrical release wasn't was was more of like marketing, yeah, for the things, right? Because it was more like, hey, this thing's here. We're gonna have some TV spots. You're probably not gonna watch it in theaters, but. When it shows up on DVD, you're going to buy it, you know? Yep. yep. I mean, that's, or, me, that's everything everywhere all at once, right? Yeah. I have kids. I can't go see it at the theater right now another time. But the moment it's out on streaming, I'm watching it, you know? Right. Yeah. Um, so, so, yeah, I don't think any of this goes away. I think it just, it just kind of re, uh, realigns the jigsaw puzzle. Um, and makes it more specific. And mm. I think this is where the, the antitrust laws of, of the past kind of stifled innovation within Hollywood, mm -hmm. right? But then you look at the game sector, they don't really have antitrust laws. Mm -hmm. So they, they can just fucking innovate, right? Yeah. Like, like Krafton can just go make PUBG and completely disrupt the entire game. You know what I mean? It's like, PUBG was like an independent game that just blew the fuck up. And they're like valued now, at, they like IPO'd and they're valued at like $28 billion. That's more than all of Viacom combined. That's more than CBS, Paramount, MTV, VH1. You combine that, that's worth less than one game, PUBG. It's crazy. Right? Yeah. So, yeah, like the antitrust laws... And, and a whole other bunch of factors we got through, like stifled innovation. But what I think is also interesting is uh, here is that uh, Hollywood or the movie business is, or Hollywood specifically, 
Because the movie business everywhere else in the world was like treated like these mom and pop shops. And it's like, you hadn't really made it until you moved to moved to Hollywood. Right. <laughs> right. Um, Guillermo del Toro became Guillermo del Toro because he left Mexico and went to Hollywood. Right. <laughs> I don't think Guillermo del Toro today needs to leave. Right. Netflix goes to Guillermo del Toro and gives him a three picture deal in Mexico. Mm-hmm. Right. Yep. Um, because foreign language productions are. um well, one blowing up and they're getting global distribution and then one of them might become Squid Game. So, mm-hmm. so that's, I think that's, that, that's also recalibrated everything. But in the past, Hollywood was operating from this culture of excess, this, we are the gatekeepers of culture. We are the manufacturers of culture. Fuck you guys. You know what I mean? It was mm-hmm. like that kind of attitude, that mentality. Um, that's now shifted. Everyone knows it. Yeah. Right. Hollywood is not, well, Hollywood doesn't even exist anymore because like I said, it's a handful of tech companies that are dictating what gets made and not everyone's congregating in the city of Los Angeles, hoping that, you know, that they get signed to the right agent. That's just, that's just not the paradigm we live in anymore. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we're talking about a decentralized media landscape that's operating kind of on a, on its back foot where it's no longer the cool thing. It's no longer like the de facto uh, uh, cultural leader, which is kind of a dope spot because when, you do, when you're in that spot, you have to innovate. Mm-hmm. You can't lest, rest on the laurels of the 100 plus year history that came before it. You mm-hmm. have to innovate. Otherwise, it just disappears. Mm-hmm. It just goes away. What kind of innovations do you think are needed right now? Like, is it a storytelling kind of in- innovation, like a new way to tell stories? Is it a distribution thing? Is it a, like, is it just a, everything is now really cheap and made for a couple thousand people at a time? Like, where do you see that innovation happening? Uh, everything, everywhere, all at once. Not the movie. I think the innovation's <laughs> happening, everything, everywhere, all at once, right? Mm-hmm. It, like, you are part of this innovation, my friend. As are you. Thank you. You're welcome. But like, literally what you're doing today right? Is Mm -hmm. not possible. Would not have been possible at any point in time before today. Right. Right? 100%. Right. Yeah. What I'm doing, people did this before. Mm -hmm. May not have been as good at it as as I am, but (laughs) 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 you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I mean, it's a little scary to think about. Like if we tried doing what we're doing, like we started five or 10 years earlier, like there would have been no way for us to get our content out without somehow convincing some executive like we wouldn't be making viral videos to like convince people online that we're worth watching no. we'd be making videos to convince an executive that we're worth no, yeah what, what you would have done is because because back in the day agencies had um like ro- like a whole roster of people who would watch short films from students and you and uh uh you and sam would have made a bunch of short films and then one of them would have slipped through the cracks of the agencies and then you would have gotten a meeting and then someone would have signed you and then you would have landed somewhere and you would have made a movie right mm. now I, I i have zero doubt that you guys would have found a niche in the film industry of old mm-hmm. right you guys are fucking talented people thanks man and you're you're outside the box thinkers and you guys are you guys adapt mm-hmm. um which I think is just really important to surviving in any 
chaotic ecosystem, the ability to adapt. But um, I have zero doubt that you guys would have found your way, right? I think the other way of looking at it is because what you're doing existed, it kept you from that, mm -hmm. right? Because this, you're like, look, I like the path I'm on. Why am I giving this up to go make your half a million dollar ghost movie that has to be a home invasion movie because the, <laughs> the Italian market wants home invasion movies. You know what I mean? Yeah. You're not going to, you're not going to do that. Maybe if we were having this conversation in 1996, you would have. Maybe. Mm -hmm. Yeah, probably. Right? Honestly. Yeah. You guys would have been like, and probably just kind of knowing you guys and knowing your skill sets and knowing your interests, you would have probably uh, worked your way up through the second unit path mm -hmm. through the stunt you know it'd been like a stunt coordinator yeah right uh vfx again it's it's kind of a newer industry all things considered mm -hmm. right so you'd have probably done the the stunt things but done practical effects used real squibs exploding squibs and done that done that whole thing and been second unit director on a big big movie and leveraged that to make a make your own movie yeah yeah i can definitely see that it's crazy Definitely like, you know, being young and looking at all that and being like, I want to make movies and then like imagining what it's like and then eventually kind of figuring out what it's like is definitely like a big, like a wake up call. But it's definitely a, a shift in realizing that how you imagined, imagined these projects getting made just doesn't necessarily align oh, with like that dude, romantic. I, bro, I had no fucking idea about anything. Like I, <laughs> so I question like all of reality, right? Like, mm -hmm. I, I had no idea that there was even a camera. Like I was just like, I thought like a computer generated everything. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I, had no idea. I was like, I'm like, yeah, like, like, you know, like if a stunt happened, I wasn't like, oh, wow. How did they pull that off? I'm like, oh yeah, they just plugged it into a computer and it created it all. <laughs> yeah. Man. I, f I, I can't help but feel like in 20 or 30 years, it's just gonna be AI content. <laughs> you know or I, like, I don't think so like I want to watch my ghost movie which is a home invasion movie and AI is like I have so many tropes and archetypes that I can just flesh out for you right here boom here you go I, I think there's a vertical of AI content mm -hmm. for sure yeah for sure I mean we'll see for You're sure there's right. a vertical of it right but like look uh Furniture is mass produced by machines today. It's like mm. mass. Look, look, look at where automation has already over the last few decades uh, impacted the world, right? Mm. Like, um, again, it's just like AI, it, it's just another evolution of the industrial revolution. Mm -hmm. And we've been in the industrial revolution for a long fucking time. So we have the raw <laughs> data of like what happened yeah. right, with other industries. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so like, you know, furniture became mass produced, but there are still craftsmen who make like highly specific shit that like people love, you mm -hmm. know? Yeah, that makes sense. I suppose when it comes to art, like no one's going to want to give up. Well, people will want their content, right? Yeah. And it's like the content, I can see that's where like, that's sure. the AI. Yeah. But when you want your artwork, that's where you want the human soul involved in it. You yes. Know? Yes. Yeah. You know, and look, I think there's a version where the AI becomes sentient mm -hmm. as well. Fun. And then that yeah. gets into the whole thing of, well, this thing has a soul as well. And that's also trying to express something. And then you argue, okay, we've got sentient AI out there. 
we've got augmented humans out there who are also making art. Mm-hmm. And then we have like old school, like Neanderthal humans, like you and me out there who are also <laughs> making art, right? Yeah. And again, like where does the big fucking cultural exchange happen? It happens through art. Mm-hmm. And that's the next version of cultural exchange, right? It's, it's like the augmented, genetically modified, brain augmented humans <laughs> and the AI, uh, sentient AI and the Neanderthals like us all making art and being like, oh, shit, the AI did a pretty good wow i didn't understand (laughs) that's your experience wow you know what i mean like (laughs) yeah man i can't wait (laughs) are you gonna augment yourself i already am my skull is wrapped in metal no uh i probably would yeah yeah why not you know you get to live you read all the comic books you watch the movies when you're 10 years old and like that's cool and then like i don't know i'll be like 70 and i'll be old my body will barely work and i'll be like oh i can get like new legs hell yeah let's go yeah how about you so you know i i I see like kind of privacy issues around some of this stuff Mm -hmm. because um you know like in the not too distant future we're likely all going to have access to an ai companion yep Right. So it's like an AI bot that's either in your head or floating around, kind of tracking all your movements, all your behaviors, and being like, listen, dude, you don't need another cup, cup of coffee today. It's mm-hmm. like, okay, your goal is to, you should hit the gym, you know, what, whatever, whatever it is, like yeah. kind of guiding you, guiding you through life. And I do think that would be valuable in, 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 in some ways. It just kind of comes down to like who's building this stuff. And what's the, what's the intentionality behind it? Wait, was that? Question? What's the intentionality Intention? behind it? I mean, I would probably make money, you know? Which is, I think, an issue. If yeah. It, if it's, if, if you're designing. Like what, why would, why would you invite a salesman to be your best friend if they're constantly trying to sell you something? Why would you invite a salesman to like program your mind? Right. You know, it, it like, and follow you around and track all of your data and everything and know exactly how to manipulate you. You know, I actually, I started writing, I guess it was a movie. I started writing a movie with this idea. There's a tech company like Google. They make the first like AI friend. It basically takes over. They become like the de facto, effectively government slash, you know, kind of leader for everybody. And the CEO of this company one night drunkenly hits a guy with his car. I guess they have AI cars, but then whatever, this is a flaw in my story. But he hits a guy with his car and kills him. He's like, oh, fuck. But no one saw it happen, right? And he basically goes to the system and deletes all record of this guy on their servers. And since the world kind of looks to, you know, it's like Google. Like if Google wiped you from all the results outside of the people that personally know you, you wouldn't exist, right? Yeah. And you take that even a little bit step further. So this guy basically erases this dude from from life, except for, you know, this young reporter girl who like still works for like a newsprint magazine. It's like a hipster thing. And it was like her boss that got killed, right? So like she's trying to do some old-fashioned journalism and figure out what happened in this mystery, like in a world that's all super high-tech now. For sure. Rely on it you can anymore. get fucking crazy because we're going to have like ocular upgrades and mm-hmm. hearing upgrades, right? Yeah. And if it's like, if, if, if one tech company were to presumably like run everything, it can isolate you and say, okay, every ocular upgrade no longer sees Nico. And if Nico talks, no longer hears Nico. Mm-hmm. 
you're fucking gone in like two seconds. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. And Google's that's name. That's like a crazy, but real because that like kind of happens already. It happens all the time it already. now. Like all the time, <laughs> just not, not in like a loony sci-fi way. It happens more of in a, like a kind of creepy backroom espionage kind of way, you know? <laughs> um, and on some level, I prefer the, the, the creepy like tech way, <laughs> you know? Yeah. At least the creepy tech way, you can just be like, whatever, I'll go fishing. You yeah. Know, or whatever yeah. other hobby you're into. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you're just like, leave me the fuck alone, you assholes. Um, um, yeah, dude. Uh, you know, I think the future is fucking... It's going to be just miraculous to watch because we are on some level... I don't think on some level. I think on every level we're reaching... We've reached the, the zenith, the pinnacle... The maximum capacity of what materialism and focusing on the material world can provide us. Yeah. As a species. That's right? true. I mean, like right now, like right now, sitting in this room, what could, what material item could make you more comfortable? I mean, nothing. Yeah. Maybe a blanket. <laughs> Maybe a blanket. As long Maybe as it wasn't blanket. kind of full, full of dust and... <laughs> <laughs> corridor digital sweat and all like, our blankets come with some, authentic corridor some, digital sweat some covid designed to like <laughs> spread it to my team to like take them all out so that you guys can acquire us like oh man you're onto us like, um <laughs> 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 uh, no like yeah so i feel like this material world thing would ideally get sorted out on some level before we start pivoting into like reality defining reality pivoting software mm -hmm. and hardware yeah like the metaverse and brain augmentation and ocular augmentation and artificial intelligence that will at some point become sentient mm -hmm. what's your what's your measurement for sentience by the way we're gonna go we're gonna take a little sci-fi turn like here. what's my measurement for sentience? Yeah. your measurement for, like what would, what would make you call an ai sentient if they can recite rap lyrics so we're there if we can battle rap with an, with an AI, it's sentient. I think we're there. All right. There's sentient AI out there. <laughs> I mean, arguably, like, I mean, we passed the Turing test multiple times at this point, yeah. you know. We're there, man. And look, a lot of people think, thought we were there before we were there because you made like these like videos that, you know, mm -hmm. like <laughs> tricked people into thinking <laughs> we were there. And they didn't, you know, they just shared the video. And they're like, yeah, this is cool. Yep. You mean the video of the dog fucking killing the dude that Miko made that was fake? I think that's cool. <laughs> the yeah. robot one? Yeah. yeah. Fake robot videos. Yeah. No, I, I think we're there, dude. We're there. Yeah. We're there. It's just real subtle and like not quite as like movie-esque so people haven't quite recognized it yet. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, on some level, how do we know that we're sentient? I mean, we're just a fancy neural network. Yeah. Well, I also feel like we're we're ultimately, we're also like, I, I do believe that there's a that there's a soul as well. Mm -hmm. There's a soul. There's a spirit. There are. There's more to your energy field than just your physical body. Right? Mm -hmm. Like if if you walk into a room where two people have just had like an argument, you can fucking feel the energy, mm -hmm. uh, in the room. Right? Even if you're like, what just happened? Yeah. Um. So I do think there's more. I do believe that there's more to this than just. We're a bunch of ones and zeros in a biological code. Mm -hmm. I do think that there's also that aspect. I do wonder about 
what is this reality? And I believe that we're in some sort of artificial intel, uh, some sort of virtual reality system simulation. I mean, almost by definition. Yeah. Not that really, once again, like, not that it really matters because it's all, yeah. the, you know, every day is going to be the, the same day it's going to be regardless. Sure, it, does, it literally has zero impact <laughs> on anything. And yeah. it doesn't mean you can dodge bullets. So don't fucking do that. <laughs> but, you know, there are other dimensions out there. There are people that can communicate with other dimensions out there. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. So, yeah. It's nice, nice that there's still a little bit of mystery. You know, I feel like the one thing that we saw go away in our very, very early parts of our, our lifetime, like I, we got to see the internet get invented, right? Crazy, right? But before that, the one thing that we saw was the world got defogged 100%. When I say defogged, like, you know, a video game, you're playing a video game, you're on the map, and the map's foggy, and as you move, the fog clears. Yeah. And like, when we were like, when you and I were like one years old, you know, it's oh, like fuck. the world was oh, still a little foggy. Totally. Yeah. Oh my God. That's such an amazing way to articulate that. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And like we would just spread rumors all the time. You know, it's like, oh, I heard in this place they have the Yeah. Like, like there's dinosaurs potentially yeah. still somewhere in the deep central part of Africa. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like you had no fucking idea. Mm -hmm. You had no way of knowing, right? If someone said they like, oh, there's a there's some tribe in Australia where people can teleport, like you don't fucking know. Mm -hmm. Right? Yep. You don't know if the government actually has Terminators. It might. <laughs> I don't know. They weren't yeah. going to tell me. Now it's all defogged. Right. Now it's all defogged. Yeah. All defogged. That's brilliant. All defogged. Think like humankind for years, for centuries, for millennia, constantly trying to defog and it happened. Well, I would say the material world has been defogged. Right. Yeah. Right. There's, there, there is this unknown. There is something that exists depending on how woo-woo you want to go with it. Mm -hmm. but at least geographically speaking. Geographically, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But there is something else. Yeah. You know, like, there's an, do you know that experiment where you, where you, like, kind of hold the water in the glass and you say, I, I love you, and it changes the crystallization of the water? Mm-mm. Yeah, like, uh, I, I'm going to sound like a, like I'm completely making this shit up. <laughs> so I would encourage you to, like, go look this up or anyone to look this up, but this is the thing. Like the molecular structures of water changes depending on what intention you put into it. Hmm. Interesting. Um, I'll have to Google that. Look it up. So there is kind of more to even the material world than uh, the material world would have you believe. Hmm. I think... I think taking a little bit of mystery into the end of this podcast is probably the best way to yeah. wrap it up. So let's, let's roll with that. Love that. All right. Cool. Well, everybody, that was, Adi, that was a great conversation, man. I fucking love talking to you. <laughs> I like talking to you too. And I like that we have the excuse you. of, I love you too, dude. And I'm glad we have the excuse of like, you know, microphones and cameras to like, just let us sit down and chat. Yeah. For just like feed the hours. ego. You know what I mean? I was like, yeah, it got documented. <laughs> I said some dope shit and it got documented. <laughs> But in all honesty, for everybody that's listening and watching this podcast, really appreciate it. Thank you for tuning in. Hope you guys enjoy it. Love to hear people's thoughts down yeah. below, you know, in the comments. That's like my favorite thing is to read yeah. comments and see the discussions going on. I also brought three outfits today and Nico picked this one. Yeah, it was the coolest looking one. 
Like you said, leisure athletics. Totally. Like I'm athletic, but not right now. What would Tony Stark wear? Yes. I'm in between workouts. Yeah. A... Yeah, totally. <laughs> <laughs> my first workout was two months ago. My next workout's in about two months. So I'm in between workouts right now. It's amazing. I had a lumberjack outfit, uh, a Ryan Gosling in drive outfit, and, mm-hmm. a, and a this. Wow. Yeah. Would that be like Italian? Italian Lobster. Leisure? <laughs> like the tracksuit mafia yeah from from hawkeye there you go european you, f1 man. fan love you love you too dude thanks for coming out uh yeah thanks for listening everybody see you thank guys you. in the next one thank you bye